Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. We're starting at Isaiah chapter 10 and going through uh, chapter 12, verse 6. It's the Haftor portion. I'll, I'm going to explain why we're going through this as we get through this, we'll go through this portion. We'll spend a bit of time in there as well as uh, a number of New Testament scriptures that, that help explain a few details. And the reason why this is brought up in this time period, as far as why uh, Isaiah is brought up in this time period, is has to do with, which sounds like a non sequitur, an in-gathering. It's an in-gathering of people. Now, we know the in-gathering is more focused upon the fall feast. It's more of a Sukkot thing as opposed to a Passover thing. But there's a reason why it's covered today, and, or not just today, but this time, this time of year. And the primary reason it's covered this time of year is because of how do you get to be in the in-gathering. You can't wait like me. You can't be a procrastinator. You can't wait till last second and jump in like I normally do. That's my normal way of life. I, I procrastinate until, like, like, for example, last night, I'm sitting with my notes. It's 12.30 in the morning, and, and I'm still just making, finishing off these notes because I procrastinate. I wait till the very last second. Okay, I'll finally start at 10 o'clock last night. Quick, right, right, right. right in this, yeah, that's me, right? Because I procrastinate. And it's, it's the last, first we last, first, first we last, well... <laughs> yeah, so, so maybe procrastination helps in some ways. I don't know. But uh, unfortunately, that's what I am. I've been that way my whole life. And unfortunately, I, it's a bad habit that has gone into it. But uh, and so it's not grand in, in, in any respects as far as it has its serious drawbacks. But beyond those drawbacks, the purpose of when you become, in order to get an in gathering in Sukkot, the process starts now. Maybe not today, but as far as it starts in the spring. It starts more specifically from Passover onward. The process doesn't, doesn't just all of a sudden spring upon you at, you know, during the, the, during, during the time of Sukkot and, and the Shemitah Tzeret, and now you're all, you're all in heaven. It doesn't work that way. Um, there's a principle, which I forgot the scripture, I think, actually, I think it is Ezekiel 18, actually, come think of it, um, discusses that topic about uh, someone living their life corruptly, and then the tail end, they finally say, okay, yeah, I believe in God, and it's all washed away good. And, we say, well, and, and God says, well, if you're genuine, I'll accept that. But what if you're not? What if you're not? Yeah, get out. It doesn't work that way. So you can't wait to last second and say, okay, now I believe in God as, 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 as you, know, the tank comes always about to blow your house up. Okay, God, I believe in you, kaboom. That's... Um, that's highly, highly unwise, <laughs> okay? It doesn't usually end well. Uh, it's not a wise choice uh, because, again, you have no idea when your end is. It could be tomorrow. It could be in 10 seconds. It could be 100 years from now. You have no idea when that is, and you can't always predict that. So it's, it's very, 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 very unwise to attempt to try to time and play the game, so to speak, because it doesn't work, because God knows your intent in your heart long before that. Anyhow, so this process begins early in Passover time, which we, which we're in right now, the middle of not Passover. We're in the middle of the count, the cycle of counting, the first fruits, the, the Omer counting cycle. The Omer counting cycle. If you're not familiar with that, 
That is the 50-day span between when you start counting the Omer, Omer means counting, um, 50 days all the way up to Shavuot, right? That's the cycle of counting. When we discussed in the past, what is God counting? I mean, yeah, we're supposed to count days, but what is God counting? Well, he's counting not days. He knows how to count days. That's easy. He's counting people. He's a people counter. So the numbers cruncher, he counts people. He counts that's mine, that one's mine, that one's mine, that one's mine. As opposed to that one's not. That one's not. The idea is being counted, to be included in a part of the count process. Ideally, we all want to be part of the count, right? That's our goal. Else we wouldn't be here. <laughs> As Paul would put it, you know, eat, drink, for we all die tomorrow, right? Because there's no God, no resurrection. There's nothing to be counted for, right? Well, that's not our goal. Our goal is to be counted because we do believe there's something beyond this life. Well, we have to get there. How do you get there? We have to be, a, there's information about the process and how to get counted in order to be part of that end gathering. If you don't get counted, you don't get to be part of it. You don't want that. I, say, I don't want that. Most of you don't want that either. So we're going to start out a little bit, discuss what the end gathering looks like and how it got there and how we know about it because there's details. So uh, we're jumping into Isaiah. So Isaiah in the tail end, is now officially speaking, this starts Isaiah chapter 10, verse 32, uh, which is totally unfair because it jumps in the tail end of a prophecy discussing Israel's remnant return. It's kind of, it's almost out of sequence as far as the sequ- in the cycle. But, but tradition's tradition. Most of our effort will be starting on Isaiah chapter 11. But the, the last you know, three verses or four verses here of Isaiah chapter 10 is where the traditional Torah portion, or sorry, the half Torah portion begins. So we're Isaiah chapter 10, starting in verse 32. Um, this is jumping in the middle of, 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 a, of a story of a, of, a, of a passage of prophecy, but that's okay. So it says, Isaiah 10, verse 30 says, Yet today he, this is he referring to uh, 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 Sennacherib, he will stand in awe. He will wave his hand contemptuously at the mountain of the daughter of Zion and at the hill of Jerusalem. Behold, the Lord, Jehovah, master of legions, will chop off branches with an axe. Those of lofty stature will be severed and the haughty ones brought low. Forest thickets will be hewn by iron. Lebanon will fall by a mighty one. Pause. It seems out of place, but the reason it starts out there is to explain, give you a hint or a glimpse of how Isaiah chapter 11 will begin. All right? Isaiah chapter 10 is trailing off the end of a destruction process of God is condemning, correcting, and reprimanding his own people. Now, mind you, remember, God, it is good that God reprimands his own people. That's a good thing. Even if he leaves the wicked person alone, correcting a righteous person is good. Correcting a wicked person isn't really useful. They don't care. They stay wicked. The wicked correction doesn't, doesn't, doesn't receive correction. It's like passing a law against doing something wrong. Well, a person who does something wrong is going to do something wrong anyway. They don't care what the law says. They already choose to do it wrong. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't help them to pass the wrong law. Uh, yes, uh, Isaac. We call those politicians. <laughs> politicians do do things like that. that. That's one of their tasks. That's true. So we're leading into this process of, he's the process, any other t- process of correcting or, or cleaning up or taking care of his people and 
getting the riffraff cleaned out. Now, Isaiah chapter 11. A staff will emerge from the stump of Jesse, and a shoot will sprout from his roots. The spirit of Jehovah will rest upon him, and a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and fear of Jehovah. He will be imbued with the spirit of fear for Jehovah, and will not need to judge what, he, what his eyes see, or decide what his ears hear. He will judge the destitute with righteousness, and decide with fairness for the humble of the earth. He will strike the wicked of the world with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be the girdle around his loins, and faith will be a girdle around his waist. Pause. This, we've, we've read this and from, from, from almost like childhood, practically. A, 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 a staff, a rod will sprout from the root of Jesse, right? We've read this from, from, from little kid almost, growing up through our lives, at least I have. Uh, but I'm going to pause and highlight a few details about this. In particular, did you catch what he said about his breath? With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. We just got through, Jeff went through it yesterday, actually. He brought up yesterday as well. I think he made the first words as well, not positive. Um, there was something Messiah did after he was resurrected. Do you recall what it was? It was part of yesterday we talked about this briefly. He breathed on his students, disciples. He breathed on them. That's it. That should be kind of odd to you. It's always odd to me. Why is he breathing on them? Well, in this passage, his breath, with his lips, he will slay the wicked. Let's go to John 20 and discuss what he said when he breathed on them. So John 20, there was an event that took place when he, when he, when he, when he had, uh, after he had risen. This is uh, the day he rose, actually, if I recall correctly. So John 20, he did an odd thing. And we talked about it briefly yesterday because it was, it was a curious about the words he spoke and what he had said. And, and Jeff did a good job explaining what he was talking about. We'll, we'll expand that a little bit more today. So in John 20, jump down to verse 19, where we'll read a portion here as far as what Messiah did when he, when he was risen. Mind you, he is the first, the first, so he is the first person, first individual ever counted as gods. Now then there are people who had died prior to him who became counted, and he died after him, who became counted. But he was the first one officially counted as God's. He's the first of first fruits. So this is John 20, verse 19. Then he, so the same day at evening, being the, the first of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled, for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said, Peace with, be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands, hid his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw, saw the Lord. Jesus then said to them again, Peace be to you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Stop there for a minute. That is an odd thing. As a strange scenario. Now, I say it's strange because the Spirit didn't come then, did it? We already know it doesn't come for weeks and weeks later. So what's he doing? 
is it exorcism? What is he doing? It's an odd thing. Is he, he's breathing on them, but it, that, that process of the Spirit of God coming down doesn't have all the way to the book of Acts. This is weeks and weeks later. What is he trying to show them in this process? Mind you, we're talking the Messiah. Every scripture is memorized to a T. He knows every prophecy. All the disciples, as tradition of, the day, of their day, would have also had every scripture are memorized since childhood. So when he does something, they record this, and the words that match the correlate with it, it should trigger a thought process in them. He's teaching them through their, as is a standard tradition, been tradition for almost 3,000, well, 2,500 years, to teach by citation or rote memorization. So in this case, he's making a statement and doing an action to go with it. We think, what, what is this action? Now, this Haftor portion, I will not say was necessarily read all the time then, but it's well known. We've, you've known it since childhood, most likely. The, the rod will come speaking forth of Jesse and, and, and out of his roots, right? We've, we've heard that from uh, for, forever. That same passage would have also been well memorized then, to, then at their time as well. So he's breathing on them. Why is he breathing on them weeks, if not months, in advance? And making them a declaration weeks, if not months, in advance. He's showing them something. It's a, what we call a mystery, an example of what's actually happening. So in this process, when he's breathing on them, he gives them a statement and says, receive the Spirit. If you forgive sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain sins of any, they are retained. Go back to Isaiah 11. What did it say about breathing? With the brother's lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteous be the girdle of his loins, and faith the girdle around his waist. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. He just breathed on them. I'm breathing on you. Now, if you forgive the sins of the forgiven, sorry, if you give them the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain sins of any, they are retained. How do you slay the wicked? There's more than one way. We think kill, hack, saw, whatever, sword. Well, that's the physical way of killing a wicked person. What's the other way of killing the wicked? Make them not wicked. Guess what? You just killed the wicked. That's what we're going to talk about today. How do you make them not wicked? How's that possible? How's that, po- that makes no sense. I'll give you, well, that's what we're going to talk about. Oh, but you do. You do have the power of doing it. And we're going to discuss it. Not, not that you can forgive sins. I'm going to discuss that you. The process, which is dumb. We're going to talk about that. That's what we're talking about. Killing the wicked. If the wicked don't exist, then are they still wicked? No. By definition, if a wicked doesn't exist, it's not wicked anymore. Right? That's by definition of words. If wicked doesn't exist, then a person can't be wicked. Right? That makes logical sense. Anything, if a wicked doesn't exist, person can't be wicked. That's the principle we're talking about today. So in this process, this interesting, interesting point he brings up. So there's a spiritual way of killing a wicked and a physical way of killing a wicked. I can kill a wicked physically. That's a wicked person. Here's my sword. Hack, hack, hack. Okay? I killed a physical wicked person. Easy. Done. Right? But what's the spiritual way of killing a wicked person? How do you kill the spiritual wicked as opposed to physical wicked? I can hack a body, or body somebody can hack me, that kills a person. But God's not interested in the body. What's he interested in? Your spirit. That's what he's after, right? How do you kill the spiritual wicked without the physical? You have to figure out a way of the wicked person no longer being wicked. 
if a wicked person was once wicked, converted to be, to be from wickedness, to wicked, wicked actions, that is, to being righteousness, righteous actions, are they still wicked? No. Isaiah 18 says that's, that's not possible. Or sorry, Ezekiel 18, that's not possible. If a wicked person goes, converts from wickedness to righteousness, they're no longer wicked. The wickedness is erased. They now became righteous. I just killed the wicked by doing so. If God comes along a wicked person and says, you're a wicked person, stop being wicked. Wicked person it stops being wicked, becomes righteous. It means their actions move to righteousness. Guess what? You just got rid of the wicked person. And you gained a righteous person. What was that? You, yeah, you killed the old man. That same principle. You got rid of what was not valuable and you converted over. Not only did I, because here's, it's, it's, a, it's a strange math, but think, walk this thing through. If I have a group of people, let's say there's five of this hand and five of that hand. This hand, all five are wicked. This hand, all five are righteous. If I kill the wicked person over here, I now have five down to four. I still have five over here, righteous. On the other hand, if I take one of this, let's say this little pinky finger, he's the wicked person, and I convert him to righteous, I still reduce this side by, it went to four, but this side went from five to six. Is it not more valuable to convert a wicked person from wickedness to righteous than it is to kill the wicked to begin with? You can double your, your increase. <laughs> not only, you can, you can change your ratio by a large amount, by just, I don't need to kill them off, convert them over. If I killed off all five wicked, that's fine. I still have five righteous. If instead I converted all five wicked to righteous, I now have 10 righteous. I just killed five wicked people and gained five righteous people in the process. That's a good thing, isn't it? That's the goal. How many of us have, don't, don't raise your hands, sorry. Wicked pasts. Right? Don't, don't raise your hand. Don't, <laughs> no details. We have wicked pasts. Do we still live in those wicked pasts? No, we don't. Why not? Because that wicked is dead to you, isn't it? The wicked past is dead to you. That deadness, that, that wickedness has been killed either by your relationship with God or God's kindness and forgiveness to you, however you process, your story is your story. But the wickedness stopped and you went over from wicked group to the righteous group. That's a, that, that's, that you killed, you got rid of, you, as Messiah point, breathed that was forgiven you of your past sins, went from unrighteous to righteous. You, 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 you shifted over. That's the process which we're discussing here today. So what is the spirit's functional job? Oh, you go ahead, Alex. The process, I like that. It's a process. I didn't have that. No. Boing. <laughs> it's it not instantaneous. A it's a process. <laughs> That's actually true. It takes time because... It, the, the, it, it, you don't, we, we, we didn't learn righteousness from the day which we were born, did we? But the Torah describes how to be a righteous individual, how to relationship our relationship with man to man. We aren't born that way. We are a good thing. So we learned from what was the difference between right and wrong by saying, I don't wish to be the wicked side or be the wrong side or the sinful side. The right side. So you went that process. However long it took, whatever route it took, it doesn't matter. You went the process. That's a good thing. We want that. That's how God can kill a righteous, a wicked person without shedding a single drop of blood. It's great. What did I could do? Yes, Alex. I was never a criminal per se. Right. I was living for myself. Mm-hmm. That's, and that's opposite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that, that's exactly what Ezekiel 18 was discussing that topic, is that the unrighteousness of, of, of the fathers 
not being attributed to their sons. The sons be, being afraid, oh no, my dad did something wrong, therefore God's going to curse me for it. Well, the, dad, the, the wrongness, we're not discussing wrongness as uh, thieving and murdering and raping type of wrong. The wrongness being discussed is worshiping an, an idol, they have incorrect priorities, wrong direction in life, the goals being screwed up. That's the type of wrongness Ezekiel 18 is really focused upon. That type of misdirection, often an odd path. Not corrupt, evil design to cause mayhem, although that is inclusive of those as well. You can cause, those are also grouped into that. It doesn't have to be this strictly that. Anything in that category is inclusive. So let's move forward here a little bit. So we have this context of this whole breathing on him to slay the wicked as far as what his breath does. And John, of course, 20 discusses, now I'm breathing on you. I'm breathing on you. So uh, whoever you, whoever you, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So now, disciples, you decide what sins are forgiven, what sins are retained. Is this, person's, is this person genuinely saying, I'm sorry, I want to change my life? Or is a person surfacely saying, I see the tank cross the street. They're about to blow me up. God, I'm sorry. Okay, shoot. <laughs> which category is it, right? Which, which group is it? Are, are, you, are, are you in? Are you happy to be believing God because you're in a foxhole? Or are you believing God because you genuinely want to change your life? There's a, there, there's a significant difference. Let's go back to Isaiah 11 because we're going through this topic of the, the nature of this particular individual. Uh, let's see. We'll cover a few more details here. Uh, yeah. Yes. So we're just so now in the process of the wicked versus uh, uh, versus righteous. Now, normally speaking, a wicked person, a righteous person, don't stay, don't 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 hang out together. Why is that? Why would, why would that normally not be the case? A wicked person hanging out with a righteous person, they usually don't mix well because righteousness does not not rub off on wickedness. The other way around does. Wickedness rubs off on righteousness. The righteous becomes contaminated or becomes more and more wicked as time goes on. That's, that's a normal cycle of behavior. Hence why we try to insulate our kids from the unrighteous evil things around our, in our world. Or we say, you know what? Those who are doing something evil, I'm going to walk over there and hang out with these guys over here instead because I don't want to be associated with those evil the evil evil language, evil conduct, whatever it may be. I don't want to be near it or around it because I know it'll rub off on me. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be associated with it. So I, I hang out over here. We do that naturally to isolate ourselves from that which is abhorrent or unacceptable to us. That's a normal, normal, normal process. So this passage we're going to head next is taken two ways, typically. All right? There's a two methodology we take. You can take it physically, verbal, verbatim, physical, literal, or a spiritual concept what's being discussed. I personally speaking, me and my Daniel H's opinion, I think they're both true. But I, I could be dead wrong. But I think they're both true. But I'm going to discuss more dominantly the spiritual concept of the next passage as opposed to the physical one. But to read it first. So this is continue on Isaiah eleven. This is attached, by the way, to the first four, five verses we're discuss about about the nature of this this wickedness versus judging righteously and being a righteous, righteous judge. So Verse, back to 11, uh, starting it in verse 6. So Isaiah 11, verse 6. The wolf will live with the sheep, and the leopard will lie down with the kid, and a calf, a lion whelp, and a fatling will walk together, and a young child will lead them. A cow 
and a bear will graze, and their young will lie down together, and a lion, like cattle, will eat hay. A suckling will play by a viper's hole, and a newly weaned child will stretch his hand toward an adder's lair. They will neither injure nor destroy in all of my sacred mountain. For the earth will be as filled with the knowledge of Jehovah as water covering the sea. Stop there for a minute. This is obviously taken many people physically, as far as what actually is happening literally. These animals will be interacting together, which is fine. There's also a spiritual aspect we'll talk about it for a minute. We just got through discussing in the first five verses the concept of righteousness, justice, and the wickedness, how to slay a wicked person without physically killing them. What happens when you took a four wicked person, as I go back to my previous example, my five wicked people and my five righteous people. If I convert the five wicked people to righteous, who are they hanging around now? The righteous. I have wicked hanging with righteous, don't I? They're opposites, but they're hanging out together. They're not wicked anymore. Because what is wickedness? Is wickedness defined as the person or defined as the action? The action. Wickedness is defined as the action, not the person themselves. Now let's go back to look at this a little more closely here. The wolf will live with the sheep. Does the wolf change from a wolf to a sheep? No. But his actions, he's living with the sheep. He's doing his actions or doing, but he, he's still the wolf. And the leopard will lie down with the kid. Does leopard become a kid? No. It's still a leopard, but its actions are compatible with the kid. A calf and a live whelp and a fatling will walk together, and a young child will lead them. Are any of those four things the same? No, they're not. But they're living, they're dwelling together, so the behavior becomes the same. They're compatible, compatible with each other. A cow and bear will graze, and their young will lie down together. Is a cow and a bear ever the same thing? No. But their actions become the same thing. See, opposites, instead of being opposites as far as their actions, their opposites become the same for action, but they themselves retain who they are. But their actions are not the same. The lion and cat, like cattle will eat hay. The lions or cattle are they the same thing as well now? No, they're not. A lion's still a lion, a cattle's still cattle, but their actions become the same. A selectee will pay by a viper's hole. It's like, you know, a viper can hang, hang out by a viper's hole, can't it? Yeah, because they're vipers. Vipers, babies, they're hanging out, they have no problem with that. Does a, viper, does, does a child and viper become the same thing? No, they're not. But they're compatible with each other. They can hang out together. The opposites can now hang out together. The newly weaned child just hand to Adder's lair. Now, they're, they're in, the point is that these, these, these creatures don't become the other thing, but their actions become compatible, almost identical to the other thing. So, Go ahead. Uh, oh, uh, hold on. He's, he, he, the microphone missed it. We, we, we reset more Unless time. I'm in the kingdom and I'm part of God's family, right. then, then I may have access to his power. Right. But and this is what we're discussing. Right now, today, I, I can't change a. You a, can't a, change him. No. I can't change a snake nope. uh, to agree with a baby. Correct. You can't. That's not, not, we're discussing what you doing it. We're discussing what the disciples' were, were job was to do it. And how this process applies to but he those being encountered. That, he, he, he endowed that power to them when he breathed upon them. 
but the power was already given them prior to that. When he originally told them, go out and, and, and preach, my, preach in my name. It was like Isaiah, it was, I'm sorry, it was uh, Matthew 10? I think it was 10. When they went out to discuss and, and preach the Messiah, they healed the sick, healed the blind, all but, in God's name, before this process took place. we can't do any of that unless we use the name of God. Well, and that's what we're talking about today, I how this process I works. Can't tell, uh, I can't tell Alex you're healed. I'm not discussing for you doing this. in the name of. No, no, hold on. You're, you're, you're putting ahead of here. We're not discussing what rose can do to somebody else. Well, I have to understand it. I have to right. take it down We're here. We're going to discuss what rose, how rose becomes rose the righteous versus rose the unrighteous. It's by the power and authority of, of Jesus Christ. The wickedness being forgiven. Right. That's the process And only how he it's can done. do that. And then that's how you become from the unrighteous wicked to the counted righteous. So our topic today is how do you become part of the counted in gathering? That's our topic today. We're just in the process of how we get there from the uncounted wicked to the counted righteous. That's a process we're discussing. And it starts at Passover time. Actually, it starts without your whole life. The point is early on in your life. God does the ingathering. He's ingathering, but he's also the one who does the counting and the marking. He doesn't just count everybody, he counts specific people for specific reasons. They're not based upon their past. They're based on what, they're, what they are. Not by their, sorry, what their actions are today. But that's based on that process. That's what we're going through today. The process which he did so and how he continues to do so and how we as people, you and I, interact with each other in this process. A wicked person could walk in the door right now. They could. They are, but they could. What is my action? How do I treat that wicked person? What kind of respect, but why? They're wicked. Why would it matter? That's who you once were, too. Right. See, that's the point. That's who you once were. That you were once part of the group. So I had five over here and five there. You were the little pinky. I said, okay, four other friends. I'm leaving the group over here. And they stayed over there. <laughs> if I can make my hands do that. Well, then, one of the guys over here you may never met. You're now over here, this group, he wants he wants to join. That process of joining, that process of going through, and what he's gonna go through and the story he goes through. Christ ah, said no one no. can come to the Father unless he draw him near. Right. But the so decisions God are is doing the those decisions are based upon what they do. It's an action start process. As opposed to walking down the street doing your own business. This is Having a no relation argument, to God. I want to say. That's a fair argument. I, I'm enjoying it. Are you? I'm sorry. No, yeah. I, I, I'm not trying to be hostile. No, no, no. I'm, just, I'm enjoying this discussion. I, that's why, that's I'm, why I'm up here. I'm trying to make you help me understand. That's fair. No, I'm enjoying the discussion. <laughs> this, 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 is, this is why I'm up here. So I, I have to talk about these things. This is what makes okay. it fun. Um, so the whole process, a random person walking the street, you don't know the story. You know, history about who they are, where they got there, how, what they're doing, what their process is, what their walk is or isn't. We have no, no, no knowledge of that. But God does, of course. And God may bring them to walk in the door, or may not. We don't know. But the process, what your goal is, my goal is, is to be counted amongst God's people. And eventually, that Joe Schmooley walking down the street, maybe he will be too. Well, let's, see, let's discuss how he gets there, how we got there, and how we can get there, because he would help others to get there. Our goal is to help along the way. Is it very useful for the righteous people for here on this side to completely ignore 
The wicked people over here. No, it's not. It's not useful, is it? So then, where is the response for the righteous people here that are counted? They say, yep, I made it in. Y'all, tough luck. No, that's not. See, we know there's, there's more to it, don't we? These righteous people, there's a responsibility associated with them, isn't there? So even though, even though we know it, God, God is one who calls, besides what it forgives, the process goes through God and Messiah, but reality is there's action based upon the righteous body that's still responsible for those who are un- unrighteous. There's things that we can do and assist along the process. That's what we're talking about. So if there is an action upon you that you can do to help either your fellow righteous individuals or those, your own children, for example, who you struggle with at times. How do I help them along the way? That's a beneficial thing, just like you were walked through. That's what we're talking about. This, this, this is a, it's a fascinating process of being counted, but being counted means there's responsibility to it. How do you retain not just your own personal life, but your interaction with other people? How do you retain that? Years ago, like 54 years ago, to be exact, uh, a neighbor uh, told me, you know, I, I was asking him questions because uh, I wanted to find out where my daughter was playing. And uh, I would keep going back and asking questions and asking questions. And then one day he, said, he looked at me and he said, you know, God's calling you. And I laughed at him. <laughs> I said, you are so funny. <laughs> You're crazy, I don't right? hear anything. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. And then I, I came to realize after a while, yeah, God was, was calling me. And was calling. I responded to that call. But yep. it was that man that, that gave that, me that. helped you through that process, didn't it? Right, right. He gave me the scripture. Exactly. And, and, and uh, he gave and you the encouragement. to teach me out of the word yep. of God. Yep. And yep. that's where that, 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 that process. That's what you're saying. Yeah, that process is still there. So yeah. the disciples were given a task. Yeah, those who I send you for that. Yeah, those who send but, you forgive. But it's God initially. That, well, of course, of course, we're not okay. subtracting God out of the process. I can't control what God's doing or not doing. That's His realm. What I can do is okay. As a counted person, what can I do? What What is my ability? Was it within my realm? If an interactive individual, what can I do with that person? If I do run across a wolf, okay, wolf. I'm a sheep. Maybe I'm a goat. I don't know. I'm a red eye. <laughs> There's a wolf. Where is my limitation? What can I say? Okay, this far, no further. Or let's have a conversation, wolf. Yeah, it may taste good, may look good, but there's some grass over here I think you'll like to eat too. Where is my responsibility? How do I work with this process? That's where we, as the kind of people, that's the goal to be, okay, how can I facilitate and be the individuals that God can utilize in this capacity? Now, I'm not saying we're disciples. We're never going to be disciples. I'm sorry. That those are fixed people. They have power beyond our ability. But where can we help? Yes, uh, Jeff. Well, um, in this discussion of uh, wolves becoming like lambs, <laughs> yeah. uh, compatible uh-huh. with lambs, there was a, another example of this, uh, specifically in the life of uh, Yochanan, the baptizer, when he was talking to a brood of vipers. Oh, right. And one of the things he said to them is bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Because what was he preaching? He's pre- he was preaching um, the forgiveness mm-hmm. of sins, the baptism for the forgiveness of sins. So they 
could move from the brood of vipers away from the brood of vipers, but they have to show fruits of that change. Exactly. So some evidence to show, okay, how do I get through this? And and he was, he, he spoke rightly to encourage him. Okay, you can do this too. You can do this too. It is possible to walk through this process. You can help me, help, help him along. Now, did any of them listen to him? Actually, some did, I think. Uh, I'm not sure how many, but some did. Even some listened to Messiah too. It was a, uh, uh, the Pharisee that was secret. Uh, Nicodemus, I think it was. Nicodemus, yeah. He quite kept it quiet, but he said, yeah, I get it. I'm following too. So you may not necessarily see the snake change from a viper to a, a child or whatever, but the process is still that he facilitated it through instruction and said, this is how we go through this. And some responded. Yes, Alex. I was just going to say, we do have that starting point, um, just like you said, which is, number one, we are that wicked person, too. Right. We have the same nature. We were nature. once there. We right. were once there. Yep. Uh, all, all men are my brothers. Yep. And all, we're all in need of forgiveness. And you don't know who God's going to send your way. Right. So <laughs> once he does, you know, do something. Do something. Be, be, be useful at that moment in time. Be help, uh, willing to help, because I'll be honest with you, I don't know what the future holds, neither do you. If God gives us something, okay, this is my, my kid, or my nephew, or, or my coworker, or an enemy, heaven even an enemy, can say, wait a minute, I don't like you. I think you're scum. My enemy hates me, hates my guts. But he might know God too. Okay, where's our common ground? How can we do work through these enemies and become from enemies to compatible with each other. It's possible to do. If God's with, work, work, working with you and through you, you we can do this. Uh, uh, Anne, your hand was up. Well, in Ezekiel, it says, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning or speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his sin, but his blood will be required at your hand. Right. So we need to warn the wicked, and if he doesn't turn back from his wickedness, nor from his wicked ways, he shall die in his iniquity, but you, you have delivered your own soul. So um, that is the righteous man turning, turning to uh, or helping another one. I mean, we, right, we're all wicked, and we, and we did. I laughed, too, when my cousin... My cousin spoke to me about something of the Lord, and I laughed. But the laughter is something that then later I looked at, looked up the scripture and and went from there, and I became born again. So it, it seems we, laugh, we do laugh. I mean, yes, we think. What does it say? It's foolishness to those that are perishing. I mean, you know. So it's it's good to, it's good to have somebody laugh at you. At least they're not laughing laugh because they may go back and look it up themselves or they very well might you know we don't know what kind of seeds you're planting in that capacity let's move for a little bit further in this um there's a few more things i want to cover today regarding this specific topic and how this process is supposed to look and what god's doing in the process of he does because i I don't necessarily recognize everybody but neither would you but god knows what these what individuals look like and what what route they're on back to isaiah 11 continuing on uh, see, we ended off in verse 9, so it says, uh, okay. So, to Rose's point earlier, this is worded differently, but the same principle she was discussing. It shall be on that day that the descendant of Jesse, who stands as a banner for the peoples, nations will seek him, and his resting place will be glorious. Pause. 
Bro, is this where the scenario goes? Messiah is the one who's doing this process. He's the, 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 the identity, the process which has gone through. We have responsibilities, but it's through him that's, that it's happening. So he's the one who's doing the forgiving cycle. He's the banner. He's the standard. He's the method. He's the, he's the direction. He's the path. He's the, the way which is happening. I like to read in verse 11. It should be on that day the Lord will once again show his hands to acquire the remnant of his people who will have remained from Assyria and from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamat, from the islands of the sea. He will raise a banner for the nations and assemble the castaways of Israel. He will gather the dispersed ones of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall stop. The oppressors of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah. Judah will not harass Ephraim. They will fly in unison against the Philistines, the west, and together they will plunder the people of the east. And their hand will be extended over the Edom and Moab, their dis- and, and their discipline over the children of Ammon. Pause there for a minute. So these two groups of people, Ephraim and Judah, in case you're not familiar with the history, they didn't like each other. They're brothers, well, actually. Or accurately, Ephraim was a large swath of brothers who didn't like Judah, which was Judah and mostly Judah and Levi and a little bit of Benjamin mixed in there. And the rest of them were kind of basically like 10 against you know, two and a half. <laughs> Usually 10 against two, but there's, there's part of Benjamin was mixed in there as well. So two and a half. That's how they, they, they didn't like each other. Why did they not like each other? Now, mind you, I'm saying this out loud for a reason. So amongst believers in Messiah, there are different groups that don't like each other. You notice that? Yeah, we're across it a few times, right? The animosity, disagreement, distrust, anger. We went across that over the last few thousand years. It's happened. We know our history. Not really well. Some of us history better than others, but the idea is we know our history. There's disagreements, right? And for different reasons. There could be envy, jealousy. There could be Disagreement of just hatred and anger or bitterness. Whatever the case would be, I don't really care what the disagreements are. They're just for different reasons. They're different reasons. So just like in Christianity, there are different sects that don't like each other. All probably 30 some thousand sects don't like each other. <laughs> okay. And Judaism, the same thing. The brothers didn't like each other. Remember Joseph? Remember Joseph, right? Did they all like Joseph? No. <laughs> they didn't like Joseph, Okay. <laughs> they tried to kill him, okay? They had no interest in Joseph, right? The brothers didn't necessarily like each other. They, they were not seeing a best of friends their whole lives, nor were their children. So they didn't get along very, very well. Well, today's no different than that. Judy and Ephraim, their descendants that have grown from as the generations have gone by, the thousands of years have passed, they still don't like each other. Now, we can debate who's who. We're discussing the debate of who's who. We're not discussing identities. The idea of them not liking each other. One being envious or jealous, and the other being oppressive or over the top, on top of them saying, you're doing something wrong. Now, back in the day when there were kings and queens involved in northern and southern tribes, there was the same thing. Ephraim was, hey, I want to do my, my way. Leave me alone. I want to live my life. Don't tell me what to do. I'll start my own religion. I'll have my own holy days. I'll have my own God I'm going to worship. Judah, you have no power We leave me alone. And Judah's saying, God's not going to like this. God doesn't like you. You're a terrible person. You should change your way of life because God's mad. It's all your fault. You're a bad person. <laughs> and they go back and forth and they do it. They tell each other via swords and spears and chariots. And that's their methodology of talking. 
of killing each other to convince the person that God doesn't like you. They'll say, yes, he does, leave me alone. It's like you're kind of siblings fighting. You've heard that before, right? You know, mom, dad's going to be happy. Dad's not mad at you. Go tell mom. Mom! <laughs> they do that all the time, right? And kids do that. It's half. That's life. That's normal. We expect that behavior. There's no different. Ephraim and Judah were no different. The same process still going through. And guess what? Thousands of years later, the same process going through. Christian group A says, God doesn't like that. God disagrees with you. You're doing it wrong. Christian group B, no, I'm right. You're wrong. Christian group C, I'm right. You're both wrong. Christian group D, uh, who's God anyway? Let's have a party. <laughs> All those different groups of uh, different perspectives of, of who's going to tell mom and dad, they're not watching. Dad's God is too busy. He's doing something else. Those guys are all wrong. Daniel, <laughs> yes, uh, 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 go ahead, Diane. Yeah, I won't keep us. You know what keep, kept popping up for me during this time we've been discussing, and that it's Second uh, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. For we are the sweet fragrance of Christ, which ascends to God, discernible both among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. And then just one more. Uh, the verse 16, which is a little short, well, the same. To the latter one, an aroma from death to death, a fatal offensive odor, odor, worse stench in their nostrils. But to the other, an aroma from life to life, a vital fragrance, living and fresh. And who is adequate and sufficiently qualified for these things? I don't know. It just kept coming to mind. I don't know if it applied in this discussion you know back back when the uh, rose was making a very strong point between you both were and talking but that's what kept popping up and i just wanted to share we're a sweet aroma and that to be one unto the lord a sweet aroma offering unto him and that and i know there's people i've witnessed to and shared with and i'm like a bad smell in their nose <laughs> and that and there's others who like oh yeah that's one. Uh, that's wonderful, and that. And when we walk into a room, and I'll and I'll close my mouth, and through the Yeshua living through us, acts of loving kindness coming out from us, whether we in our words and deeds, or just by the way and our by our behavior, and that. And you leave the room. That's what the people remember. Like when you go into a room and you smell a great smell and you leave the room and it come back maybe and yet that smell is still lingering, that aroma is still lingering. That's what he wants us to be. And darkness cannot stand that and that there will be those that cannot stand it. So I'll, I'll just be quiet. Thank you for sharing. That's true. <laughs> so in this process, we're discussing the concept between Judy and Ephraim or Christian A to Christian B or Christian C to Christian D. Their behavior toward each other reflects not just them, but the God they claim to represent, doesn't it? Now, here's yes, a... We're representing yeah. all to a high and holy task, and that in is to love the Lord our God with all, of, with all of that we are, and to allow His love, which is an earmark of who He is, when, they, when, God, when Hashem, God sent Him up onto that cross, that was the ultimate unselfish act of love ever that was ever done. And that, and, and, to, and uh, when we can't, between one another, show the love of Christ, every one of us, or the love of Yeshua, there's something wrong with that picture. And, uh, <laughs> and if I do it, there's something wrong. 
Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. So we're, and we're discussing this. It's, it's an interesting topic. So this, to be counted as, as, as a person of God, there's responsibility that goes with that. And there's supposed to be also as inclusive of how we interact with others, both how the sheep interacts with the wolf, as well as the sheep with the goat or sheep with any other species, how they interact with each other, it matters. It reflects the God we claim to represent. If we're reflecting him well, great. If we're reflecting him poorly, we're not actually part of the righteous group after all, are we? If I, ref- if I claim you're part of the, this, uh, my, my, my previous group of the five righteous, or five, we got this hand, five righteous, that hand. If one of my five righteous, let's say this is me, and my pinky finger over here is me on my right hand, the righteous person, so to speak. And I say, okay, that's great. I'm going to act and claim to be righteous, but I'm going to treat my other righteous person, my thumb side over here, rottenly. Am I actually righteous at all? No, I'm not. Just like, hold on, I thought it was righteous in fact because I'm mistreating the other person of God's. I actually belong to the group over there. So I claim well, to not Doesn't that be. remind you of Go ahead. When, the, when they had the seats come in and sit down and they gave the seats to the most prominent and best and they treated them wonderful and great. Same doesn't principle. Kind of yep. tie there. Same principle. Yep. Same principle. So, we're discussing this idea of to be counted means there's responsibilities with that counting. More than just our own personal life, but how we live it and how we inter- interact with others around us who are both similar as well as very different. Those matter. Because to be God or be like God, representative of God, there's a behavior we expect. Both from others' perceived behavior of us, but also in particular what Moses said and what Messiah said, this is how you will behave. This matters to us. To be included is the behavior matters. As we discussed earlier, when we discussing the whole, the wolf and the sheep, the wolf doesn't become a sheep. The wolf acts like a sheep. All right? The acting like, the, your behavior is how you interact with each other. If the wolf acts like a sheep, will the sheep care that it is a wolf? No. Acts the same. So if a righteous person acts in a righteous way toward others, whether it's a a wicked person or a righteous person, if they act righteously to both, will either one of them be upset with the individual being who is righteous? No. Be content with them. That's fine. So our actions, our nature, a way which we project ourselves and follow God's way of life, follow God's instructions, reflects to everybody around us. Whether we use our words, whether we use our verbs or or our actions, makes a difference. That, that process is the same. Because our actions, what matter in God's, I've got pointed out more times I can count, actions matter. <laughs> what we do matters. That's how we're, how we're looked at. God's okay. In spite of what you may think, what you may feel, what do you do about it? What do we do about it? That's where we're measured. What do we do about it? Can I say something? Go ahead. Go ahead, Diane. I mean, I, if the, I'm, I just, this is things that are coming to me and that it's like, you said, what do, what do we do about it? What do, I, what do I do about it? Or what do I do? What these things are happening. I lay it up against the scripture. And if they're not, if it doesn't, uh, doesn't pass the litmus test, I call it, then 
there's something wrong somewhere with my walk or whatever's going on. And I think when we're filled with the Spirit, the living Spirit of God, God in the form of the Holy Spirit, and that He gives us the discernment to know who some of those wolves are out there that pretend to, right. that they're saying that they're sheep, and they're even though they look, they're going by and, and <laughs> walking and talking to me. Yeah. And it's like, whoa. And the <laughs> Spirit just gives you a... a it lets you know, say, it's like, Diane, there's something not right. Or Something's Daniel off. or Lee or... Right. Yeah, something's going... Something's off. Something's wrong. This, this wolf isn't truly a sheep. It's still, it's still actually a wolf. A wolf is sheep's clothing. The, the actions are, are, are surface only, as Ezekiel 18 is discussing. The actions cannot be surface only. And I, as he points out in, in Isaiah 11, which I just read... The Messiah is judging not with the sight of his eyes, the hearing of his ears, he, with righteousness just poor. So he identifies, he knows the inside. And so I don't know the inside. I can only work strictly on what I see on the outside. That's my limitation. But Diane's correct that the Spirit's functionality is to say, something's not quite right here. I, I may not know what it is. It'll be identified what it is. I'm not going to treat them evilly. I'm not going to treat them wickedly. But be cautious, something may not be right in this particular scenario. So there is wisdom there. We're going to discuss that a little bit more thoroughly um, in the point, in, in how we go through this the next you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes or so, about that topic specifically. So when it comes to our, 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 our discussion today, I'm not going to go through all the scriptures because I don't have time to go all of them. But it goes to Jeremiah 23 to discuss this topic and Deuteronomy 7 to discuss this topic as well. Uh, in particular, Deuteronomy 7 Oh, sorry, I scratch that. I apologize. Wrong, wrong scripture. That's, that's the hand of God. Sorry. It, it, it is uh, Ezekiel, uh, Exodus. I apologize. That's uh, Exodus, uh, Exodus 22, 23. Okay. Exodus 22, 23. It's, it, it, well, you can recite exactly. Yeah, let's go there right now. Exodus 22, uh, it's, this, this is recorded a couple of places. Actually, uh, half dozen or so. Exodus 22, this guy in spite of what I may not know the individual who I'm dealing with, because I do not know if they are a wolf in sheep's clothing or truly a wolf or truly a sheep, because I can only see by the outside of what they look like to me. I don't get the inside read that God has. I don't have that option to me. So I, as you and I do the same thing, from the outside, this person, individual appears like this, whatever the this is, fill in the blank. They appear like that. I treat them like whatever that looks like. And there's a reason why I have to treat them a specific way and how to treat them kindly, even though they may in fact be a wolf. There's a reason why. Acts 22, uh, we'll go down to verse, uh, let's see here. Now, actually, this, this is in a list of proper conduct space uh, uh, topics. Um, what's, so 22 as well as 23 discuss this topic. 23 is a better example. But 22 verse 21, it says, You should neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You've heard that before, before haven't you? You were strange in the land of Egypt. Don't mistreat them, right? So even though he is a stranger, he could be a wolf, could be a lion, could be a goat. Even though he's a stranger, don't mistreat them. Now, let's jump to 20, Exodus 23. This fills out more details about this idea. So, 
in this case, Exodus 23, the first uh, nine verses talks about this. Exodus 23, verse, verse one, says, you shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You should not follow a coward to do evil, nor should you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. You shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute. Keep yourself far from a false matter. Do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not justify the wicked. And if you shall take and you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. You shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger, because you were strange to the land of Egypt. These are all acts of how we interact with me and you, or you and somebody else. They're how we interact with each other. Does this specify the person must be righteous to interact this way? I mean, the person I'm, I'm reacting with has to be a righteous person. No, don't participate in wickedness, but the person I'm interacting with, they don't have to be righteous to treat them this way, do they? They could be unrighteous and me still treat them correctly or positively in a respectful, kind manner, right? Now, does it matter? So if it doesn't matter if they're righteous or unrighteous, my conduct, how I treat them is the same. Now, will I trust an unrighteous person? No. It doesn't say trust those who are unrighteous. <laughs> That's not, I missed that verse. <laughs> Thou shalt trust the unrighteous people. No, it didn't say that. I still treat them the same. I treat them with the respect that they're due as people of sojourners or strangers, strangers to me, strangers to my community, strangers to my family, whatever they may be, I treat them the same. And that process of treating them, again, reflects the God I represent. It's how my God would treat them. It's how Messiah would treat them. The Messiah say, you know what, you're a sinner, stay away from me. I don't recall those words from his mouth. You sinners, no, you, you go over there and I'll stay over here with the righteous people. No, that wasn't his words. <laughs> that was not his, his actions didn't match those, that phrase, did it? Because he didn't do that. He said, you're sitting over there, you need some help. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll walk with you. I'll talk with you. I'll teach you. I'll be the person you need to find how to live a better life. I'll be that for you. I, I, can, I can instruct you along the way. Now, I am not Messiah. I'm not going to pretend I can. I don't have the, the, the kind of self-control and wisdom he's got by you know, a billion to one. But the point is, his actions were still actions to mimic like. How do I treat the individual? How does it be counted? What does it mean to be counted a part of God? As Messiah was counted as God, the first of firstborn. He's the first one brought up. We all want to be like, like him or his first fruits. Well, to be like him, and act like him. My first fruit of an apple tree is an apple. I pick it off this, this is great. The next one is an unripe lemon off the same tree. That's odd. <laughs> this unripe lemon does not match the apple I just picked off the tree a minute ago. Something is strange here. Something's weird about this tree, right? It wouldn't match. It doesn't match. Not, the, the unripe lemon is not matching the apple that was before it. It doesn't fit. Something's wrong. 
don't pick the unripe lemon. They're not useful. It's not useful to you. Pluck it out and discard it. What was that? Yeah, maybe they grafted it. I don't know. But either way, whatever, it didn't match the, 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 the fruit that I picked off earlier. A crab apple and a sweet apple on the same tree. Got you, yep, and that can happen. And that can happen. They, they don't, if they don't match, they're not useful to you. They, you you're, you're after a particular thing. You want the apple. You don't want the unripe lemon in the process. Um, anyway, so the, the idea of that representation to be like God, to be that representative of God, it's to treat all people, whether they're righteous or unrighteous, equally correctly in the representation of our god that's what we get counted now that is not to say that unrighteous behavior doesn't have its effects we started our discussion earlier today about we as individuals who want to tend to isolate ourselves from, from wicked behavior which is okay all those people over there are being wicked i don't want to be part of that i'll sit over here where i'm safer that 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 that, that is our, our human nature and there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. We have to watch the difference between being hanging around wicked people versus how we interact with them. Most of you have had in your lifetime coworkers of different backgrounds, some more righteous than others. Do you treat them differently? No. They are, you have a co-responsibility to do something, whatever the job is, whatever, and you treat them, hey, well, let's work together and to get this process of this job done. That's a good thing. We like that process. That makes logical sense. Well, this work, instead of your coworkers being at a job as an employer-employee, your job is get counted, coworker. How do we get counted? How do I get counted? How do I maintain my count? How do I maintain being that ripe apple as opposed to turning into an unripe lemon? How do I keep matching the story that was given to me? So, Continuing on in this, in this cycle, I'm going to go two more spots before I'm going to call it quits for today. Um, I, James discusses this uh, a few different ways as far as James chapter 3, the, the, the idea of how we treat others. I won't go there necessarily today because it discusses how, uh, 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 how envious, the envy or jealousy or you as something that I want is not a reflection of what is godly. But... A wicked person may say, you have what I want. That's not necessarily a bad thing, is it? Depends on what the person's after. If a wicked person says, you have peace, I want peace. You have happiness. I want happiness. So I'm not happy. That's still envious, isn't it? It's still jealousy. Isn't that I want? I want it. How do I get it? How do I become that? How do I become like you? So in James, he, he covers a lot of different things. Sort of three, he covers a lot of the, the idea of, the, of, of, uh, of those being uh, envious. We won't, go, we won't go there necessarily today at, at that topic at this point in time. It, we will discuss another space we're going to go to is in, uh, let's see here. Uh, let's see, Proverbs, we'll, we'll, we'll skip Proverbs for, for now. Let's jump to... Revelations, I might go Revelations instead. Yeah, let's go Revelations 14. We'll end in Ezekiel 9 uh, on, on today's topic specifically. So Revelations 14. Oh, where is it? It's one of my favorite sections because it's fun to, fun to quote and to talk about and to, and, and, and to discuss in particular. 
So regardless of, of the individual I interact with, my conduct has to retain a particular uh, stance, a particular standard. Well, verse 14 discusses a type of example of what that standard would look like when God is counting the individuals which should be counted. So Revelation 14, starting in verse 1, says, I look to behold a lamb sitting upon the Mount Zion, with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. Now note, this means they got counted. If you got God's name, he signed you. Guess what? You belong to him. Have you ever signed anything? Guess what? You signed it. The document, it's got your name on it. Your, your verbal, your agreement, it is your agreement. This, is, this belongs to me or this, I'm agreeing to this agreement. So they got signed by, God. like signing somebody's cast, but it doesn't, it doesn't get cut off. He got signed on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, like the voice of a loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. And as they sang, it were like a new song before the throne, the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, but they were virgins. They're the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. In their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Stop there for a minute. Now, we think, well, without fault. Well, that's impressive. With no mistakes? Then say no mistakes. It's without fault. They may have made mistakes. It's not about making mistakes in their lives. They are currently, at this moment in time, without fault fault. So their faults, they once were, because mind you, we all have been in our wicked days. These individuals in particular went from the wicked side over to the righteous side. They weren't necessarily killed as wicked. They were brought over from wicked to the righteous side. They got God's signature written on them as a result. I'm taking this one. Here's my signed name. That's a positive thing. Did that person have to die? as a wicked person to get there? No. They don't die as a wicked person to get there. Wicked people die, they die. They had to become a righteous individual. And then they may have died, that's fine, but they're righteous in order to get that signature. As so, well, well, how'd they do it? How, how'd they get their righteous signature? How'd they get that, that sign from God on their forehead? What methodology was he doing? What was he doing? How, how, what, what made them so special that they got the sign God's signature on his forehead? And and the others or other individuals they may not have. Well, Ezekiel 9 explains that process. I cover this process usually in, at, at Yom Kippur, but this whole process starts at Passover anyway. So Ezekiel 9 discusses how this, these individuals become counted and stay counted. All right? This is what we're going to discuss. And this is all based upon their actions and how they interact with people around them. In spite of the wickedness they may be surrounded with doesn't change who they are. That's an important process. So Ezekiel 9 says, Then he called out in my hearing with a loud voice, saying, Let those who have charge of the city draw near, each with a deadly weapon in his hand. And suddenly six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with his battle axe in his hand. One man among them was clothed with linen and had a writer's inkhorn at his side. He went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Now the glory of God of Israel had gone from, up from the, the cherub where it had been, the threshold of the temple, and he called the man clothed linen who had the writer's inkhorn at his side. The Lord said to him, Go to the midst of the city, the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh 
and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. Pause. How did they get God's signature? They sigh and cry amongst all the abominations that are done within it. They recognize there is evil. What was it? Think like God. Yeah, you're thinking like God. They're thinking like God. That I can't fix this abomination, this evil that's here. But I myself am not participating in it. I am maintaining my conduct. As God said, you'll maintain your conduct in spite of the evil around you. I may be living in an evil world. But does that change my conduct, my representation of God on this earth? No, it does not. Regardless of what's around me, my conduct, my representation of God doesn't get to change. It doesn't alter. People around me may alter. Men change. God doesn't change. If God doesn't change, guess what? I don't change. Meaning, change from righteousness. So the others said with, with my hearing, go after him to the city to kill. Do not let your eyes spare or have any pity. Utterly slay old and young, men, maidens, and little children, women, but do not come near anyone on whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were for the temple. He said to them, defile the temple and fill the courts with the slain. Go out. They went out and killed in the city. That's terrible, God. You're killing all these people. They're the ones who have seen righteous around them. These wicked people being killed, right? They, have, they know the righteous person next to them. Yeah, Joe Shmuley, the righteous guy. And then there's me. He's righteous. I'm not. I'm cool with it. He's, 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 he's living his life. I'm living mine. They're choosing a wicked behavior, even though the righteous behavior is before them. God's saying, hey, you're making a conscious decision here, guys. You are choosing to not change. And that's fine. Unfortunately, it doesn't end well for you. But that's your choice. So when we are righteous people, it's beyond just what we look like or how we act in ourselves, our private life. It's also how we interact with people around us. If the wicked person has no example of what righteousness is or looks like, how will they ever know what is righteous? Well, they wouldn't. There's no, there's no example. There's no, there's no citation. No, so, oh, that's good and that's bad. If you raise your child up and your child has no knowledge of what is good and bad, would they know? No. They know what they want, what their selfishness, what they desire, but they would know what is good and what is bad. A wicked person, if they have no righteous example, there's no knowledge of what is good and bad. They just have wickedness alone, whatever it is, like the days of Noah. There's no righteous example. Just the days of Noah, God's like, all right, this is enough. Kill them off. There's nothing good in them. That's what they divulge or, or digress into. That's not a positive thing. We want to end that process. We don't like that process. So the wicked people exist, the righteous people exist, and they interact together at all times. As we have here, in the same sanctuary, they have righteous and wicked mixed together. The righteous conduct doesn't change. Their example is still there. It's representative here on God, of God on earth. They retain that identity, regardless of what's going on, regardless of the world around them. So again, Back to our beginnings. Messiah breathed in his disciples. And he told them, you will, the sins you, for, sins you forgive will be forgiven, the sins you retain will be retained. And the wrath of God is designed to slay the righteous. Or slay, 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 slay the wicked. Misspeak. Slay, slay the wicked. You can slay the wicked multiple different ways. You can kill them physically, hack, 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 hack. Or kill them spiritually, convert them from wicked to righteous. 
Both ways kills the wicked. One's more valuable than the other. Both ways kills the wicked. The hack, hack, hack process, that's God's prerogative. He decides this person cannot be saved or will not be saved. They should be refused. Hence, okay, angels, go kill them off. They cannot be retained. They're not useful. They're, they're, they're causing too much harm. They cannot be rehabilitated. That's God's decision, not mine. But if God does choose to say, hey, this wicked person is now no longer a wolf, he will be a sheep. What's my, what's my responsibility as a sheep? Welcome. Welcome, sheep. Fellow, fellow wolf, former wolf. <laughs> Welcome. That's a positive thing. And you can, you can switch sides, so to speak. As Ezekiel pointed out, 18, you can switch sides from evil to good, but you don't get to switch from good to evil. The sheep doesn't, become, doesn't get to become a wolf. The wicked, so righteous, does not become, doesn't get to become wicked and retain his righteousness. It's hacked away also because he's chosen to reject it. So the nature of being counted in this time of first fruits, besides counting first fruits, the examples we have, it's always how we, how he, always, it is how he has interacted with people around us because I don't get to interact with God the same way I interact with you and you and you and you and you and you. You're all different. I can have to be personal one-on-one. God doesn't really, you know, have conversations with me like this. You do. That's a valuable thing. So I can, I can interact and talk to God, talk to you about God regarding this topic. That's my responsibility as being one of the counted individuals, the representative of God on earth. That's a good thing. And as a result, I get to become, hopefully, God willing, one of the ripe apple pieces that he picks off sometime later. I get to be counted as opposed to the unripe lemon that God says, wrong time of year, wrong tree. Get out of here. Go away. Make sense? Earlier question, earlier comment rose that, yes, there's limitations of what we can't, we can't forgive. I can't make someone else righteous. But I can treat them a particular way that is respectful and honorable and godly, and they would see that and hopefully respond to it without necessarily me condemning them or saying, you're doing something wrong. Because all the Christians say, do something wrong to each other. <laughs> the Jews and the Ephraim, they point to each other, point fingers, you're doing something wrong. They always point, you're doing something wrong. It, that's not useful, is it? Ephraim, Judah, stop fighting each other. You are one body. You'll be as one group to fight together that's those who are truly doing evil and wrong. Does that make sense? Hopefully it does. Any comments or questions about this Torah portion? portion. This conversation today. Yes, Rose. Last statement about good going back to evil. The Bible is pretty clear about that. It says it's like a dog going back to its vomit. Yep. So you yep. never want to, I mean, when I, use, when I do that visual, it's like, I, I go. Yeah, it makes you, makes you want to vomit, oh, the, the thought process. I'm not yes. going there. <laughs> You're not going there. So hopefully this makes sense. The nature of being counted is a really important process. And to be retain your count is dependent upon what you want to do. You want to reflect God on earth or you're not going to reflect God on earth. You say, I got mine, you're on your own. Or I have mine, turn around, let's help the next guy behind me. There's a two different methodology of getting, quote, the count, end of quote. <laughs> There's a positive thing. So Diane was correct. It's, you interact with other people, that, 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 that reflection of God affects and leaves a lasting impression. That's a good thing. We want that. That's a positive thing. God says, yes, this is, what, this is this, the, the example Messiah left. When he left, when he left the room, use the term loosely, guess what? He left a lasting impression. 
Matter of fact, it's lasted 2,000 years. His impression is still lasting. It's a very long-lasting impression like when he left the room. So ideally, we would be not obviously in Messiah's shoes, but something along the same lines of when you leave the room, leave a lasting impression on what you are and what God you present to both the unrighteous as well as the righteous. It should look the same to both without allowing the unrighteous wicked behavior to become a rub off on you. Fair enough? Any comments, questions? And I'm ending on time. Woohoo! All right, let's go with the prayer. Almighty God, I'm grateful Father, thank you for our, our Shabbat day of rest, our time of praise and worship, and, and pay attention to how to live the life you have before us. You are our God. We wish to be your people, Father. May you grant us peace and your people peace. May you be like you on this earth and you will see us, whether from our words, our actions, our way of life, how we treat one another. They will see that, yes, this person believes in God. May they always see that, Father, all of our days. We ask you to bless us, Father. We trust you and ask your blessing and kindness in Yeshua's name. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.